0: Hey, good to see everybody. Sorry, it's been a while since I've done one of these. I, I like trying to be regular, but there has been a lot going on. I've been ordained in the Global Methodist Church. I just recently released a Substack article on it uh, called uh, Ordination in the GMC or something like that. If you if you look up uh, my name on Substack, Jeffrey Rickman, uh, you should be able to find it. Uh, my Substack's actually doing pretty well. Thanks for the folks who are supporting it um, I've also done an interview with a, a guy named John on a podcast called Conversations That Matter, and he's a Reformed believer, but uh, talked with his audience about um, the the fallout in the United Methodist Church. Um, and then, you know, I've just been trying to keep my head above water as the churches I serve have disaffiliated, and uh, I've, I've really appreciated all the people reaching out. There have been people who send me books, who send me letters. Uh, I'm going to be uh, reading some of those letters on a, a different segment sometime soon, but I just really enjoy people telling me their stories and uh, how it is that that this plain-spoken podcast has impacted you. Uh, for those of you who this is your first time watching one, the whole idea here, I began this whenever I was a local licensed pastor in the United Methodist Church. I wanted to, to make an attempt to speak truthfully and boldly about what is going on in the Methodist movement, especially within the United Methodist Church, as I was raised in that tradition, as I know a lot of what's going on. There's a, a lot I still don't know about, um, and I try not to speak out of my depth. I've had some people really uh, take issue with me speaking on things that I don't know the full story about. Um, friends, that's just, that's what we have to do. You know, Every Sunday I'm preaching on mysteries I don't fully understand if you are under the understanding that that any of the journalists you listen to understand 100% of the picture they're reporting on, uh, you are mistaken. Uh, we're all doing our best to make sense of the world that we're living in. I am guided by uh, conservative traditionalist principles as I, I look through these things and I, I try and navigate these issues so in a way that uh, I can do openly and invite other people into. And if you're conservative, I, ho- I hope it's empowering to you or uh, that it equips you to – to see the picture more accurately. If if you're a liberal person, and I do have liberal people who watch, some who appreciate my diligence and my good intentions, some who just want to troll me, <laughs> and I don't know why you keep watching, but uh, if you're a troll and you're watching, enjoy, because I'm going to keep doing what I do. Um, I, I did an interview a week or so, well, we, we aired it a week or so, so ago, with a guy here in Visai, Oklahoma, who had his church closed uh, against the will of the church body, and a lot of people got mad at me for that one because they were uh, expecting like a a slam dunk, hey, the conference was so wrong when they did this. I thought it was a good interview because he's clearly likable, but he's also clearly not Methodist, so it was kind of a messy story, and, and people didn't want a messy story. They just wanted a Sorry to interrupt you. Did they close vice?
1: they just kicked him out. I don't know if they actually yes. Closed okay. It. Yes, okay. you're correct. Sorry, thank sorry. you
0: very much. No, they kicked him out and his family and uh, put off the vote. So thank you for correct. Yeah, TJ is going to keep my phrasing accurate with this. I'm I a big picture to. guy. <laughs> All these details are hard for me to keep contained. So anyway, thank the one you for that we, correcting. The me. one that did close was uh, Fifth Avenue United Methodist we Church. Did, yes.
1: In Pennsylvania, North
0: North Carolina, North Carolina. Okay, yeah. So we have covered one church already closed against its will, Fifth Avenue UMC in North Carolina. Uh, that's a good video. You should watch it. Um, today we're we're covering another church that was closed against its will, and I don't want to do the uh, hysterical sky is falling, they're going to close your church, you got to get out. And I know that that's a a stereotype that uh, people leaning left have about people on the right is where. We're hyperbolic and we're, we're um, c- catastrophist. Um, there are plenty of conservative churches that are not going to be closed against their will. However, this does seem to be a trend that's taking off. Paragraph 2549 in the Book of Discipline makes provision for uh, essentially what is a hostile takeover from the annual conference to a local church that it discerns has lost its mission, doesn't uh, serve the purpose with which it was set out anymore, And what we're going to find with this story about Struthers United Methodist Church in East Ohio annual conference is that um, the conference used this provision to close a church against their will. So we're going to try to tell the story of this church. We've read some articles. Uh, We've spoken with uh, Reverend Douglas Theobald um, of that church. I believe he's a local licensed pastor. That's one of those things I should be clear about before I report on. We talked to him for forever. We got a lot of the details on this story. It's just keeping them all straight and not jumbled up in our heads is, uh, is important. So anyway, uh, most people became familiar with this scenario. Uh, Doug is, has gone public with this from, from day one. His, his leadership has as well. A lot of churches, they go through this, and they're just so demoralized. They don't say anything. Uh, kudos to, to Doug. He, he spread the story far and wide. Um, I've got on my screen here an article put out by the Christian Post, written by Michael Grabowski, this guy, he's written all the stuff on the United Methodist fallout, and he's, he does a really good job. I don't think he's United Methodist. Um, so anyway, he's, he's, so far as I can tell, one of the, the trustworthy voices in this whole conversation. Uh, the tagline is, this is not right. Pastor says United Methodist Church decision to close small church was unfair. And so that's Struthers United Methodist Church. It's 123 years old. Um, and it's in the midst of a town called Struthers. Um, Struthers is a town of about 10,000 people. Uh, they are a suburb of Youngstown, Ohio, if you're familiar with that. Um, so the, the main players in this, uh, this is I, I recommended this article from the Christian Post. There's also this article from NPR, The Faithful See Both Crisis and Opportunity as Churches Close Across the Country. This is Doug Theobald right here. And you can judge his profession by looking at him. Yes, he is a firefighter. He has the Fu Manchu. What a cool... I cannot pull that mustache off for the life of me. By the way, I'm just going to take a quick break right here. I am fully aware that these mason jars uh, signal to people some things from the past. These are the cheapest, easiest things to drink out of. And uh, for those of you... um, I've got this. I got a big old mason jar here. I just thought that was hilarious. A fan gave it to me. Um, I hope you enjoy seeing my mason jar because I get thirsty and I need to drink.
1: It is it is water too. Uh, that was a concern that it was. Uh... Oh, dude, people really <laughs> think
0: I'm drinking on here. I couldn't do this if I was yeah, drinking.
1: No, I think that was the that was the comment. Oh, then, oh my gosh, it's... give me a
0: break. I'm just okay. All right. Anyway, this is Doug Theobald here, and he did an interview with NPR. I should have made the font a bit bigger here. Um, he doesn't give a whole lot of information here that, that we don't have, that we're not going to report to you, but it, it ends up, this whole article connects it to churches, not just in the United Methodist Church, but uh, it talks about the, the rise of the, dun, or, or the nuns, it has a graph here showing how uh, many churches, no, how many attendees there are. Fewer people at weekly church services in the United Method, or in the United States. So it shows that we've, we've had a decline in average worship attendance throughout the U.S. But then it talks about a number of other churches. That's a picture of Struthers on the inside. Um, that must have been a low attendance Sunday because he, he gave us his stats on, on regular attendance, and it's more people than that. Um, but it, it, it turns to other churches, including one in Bartlesville. I don't think—oh, wait, this is—okay, this is another one of Struthers right here. That's a better shot. I should have started with that one. That's a beautiful building. Uh, but yeah, they're closing that, and that's some people from other angles in the the church building. And then it talks about a, a church in Bartlesville near the be- bottom here where we're really close to Bartlesville. We're like a 20-minute drive here, but apparently the First Christian Church is also having to close. Well, one of them, there's two. Yeah. The Disciples of Christ Church. And they've got a million-dollar budget. Uh, they've got a million dollars in their funds, and they decided they're just not fulfilling their missional purpose, so they're closing it. That's That's what I understood from the article, so... Anyway, we live in a really interesting time, folks. Um, some of the other players here, I showed you Doug Theobald. This is his district superintendent, Abby Ahman. This is the, the page they have for her on the uh, conference website. And um, this is Bishop Tracy Smith Malone. Of She's the East Ohio bishop. And so these are the two people in authority over Doug and his church. Um, both of them are openly liberal. Um, to the point where uh, his DS was wearing a rainbow stole uh, to annual conference a few years ago. And it won't surprise you to hear that the DS has been hostile to him uh, as they've gone through this process, hostile to the Church. We tried to reconstruct a timeline here. She
1: also, I just want to bring up, she also is very involved in the Reconciling Ministries Network. I, did, I didn't i did tell you that. Uh, I was, yeah, I don't, I was I don't creeping on Twitter and trying to find some stuff like about her and Reconciling Ministries Network has a ton of like posts with her
0: speaking at her events, so she's she's thoroughly on the uh, on the left. Okay, so. yeah, that, that pretty much seals the deal there. Um, the the conference that they're in is actually a pretty strong conference. They have more churches than the average conference. They've seen less decline uh, between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one than most conferences. But as as Doug reported. Um, things seem to be changing pretty quick in that conference. They're closing a lot of churches. His is not the only one. And they have a whole process designed as to how they're going about this that, that has the veneer of respectability, but it's functionally um, closing conservative churches left and right. Um, let's, let's go through some of my notes here. Um, so they were not pursuing disaffiliation as a church. Um, you'll remember Fifth Avenue was in, in uh, North Carolina, they actually showed up to a meeting where they thought they were going to discuss disaffiliation with their DS, and their DS said, uh, we're closing you down. Um, that didn't happen here. They were not pursuing disaffiliation. They weren't even having the conversation. They decided to trust in the United Methodist Church, keep their heads down. Um, they, they really weren't involved in conference stuff a whole lot. They didn't show up to everything. They didn't have uh, a lot of involvement. They were just much more locally oriented and uh, Doug wondered if that's part of what drew the ire of, of the conference. Um, so their membership at this church was 91. He said their average attendance was 38. It went down to 16. Between, that was also between two services. They switched...
1: I guess the conference had uh, come to them in 2014 originally and mm-hmm. said, hey, you need to get more involved in your community. And one of the... Ways they did that was to split up the to, to add two services. So they had two services all together, so about 40 between the two of them.
0: So, and then uh, when they when COVID came, it went down to 16. A lot of churches went down to zero, um, but it was coming back up. Uh, they were still having baptisms and professions of faith, uh, they were not reporting zero on these things. Uh, they, they had they were made to close during COVID, uh, he said. Uh, they couldn't even stay open if they wanted to. But their offerings maintained. They paid off all their bills and salaries. Um, they never paid their apportionments in full, and that b- might be part of what what did them in. But he said they had a fifty thousand dollar annual budget, and the conference was requiring eleven thousand dollars a year in apportionments from them. That's over twenty percent. That's wow. that's asinine. Like there's. That's not a fair amount to ask. So they were paying apportionments, just not the full apportionments. And I couldn't pull up UM data. Their, their, their website is down. Otherwise, I could, I could verify this, but uh, it's down right now. Uh, they had money in the bank and an endowment. Their checking accounts did get pretty low at one point, and that's what triggered this whole process. At one point, there was a confusion, uh, some kind of snafu. They instantly moved money back in, but the DS somehow... Became aware that money was lacking at one point, and that's what triggered this whole process that resulted in them being closed. Well, I think he said, uh, I think Doug said that um,
1: she contacted the church and got a hold
0: of church the secretary, secretary, yes, who a. did not have the right financial records. But right. the, the the secretary turned over faulty financial records that then the DS would never allow to be corrected. Yeah, they they gave her updated forms that she never used. Yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and and make clear. I have not had a conversation with uh, DS Amon. I called her office just earlier today. She was out. She hasn't ducked my calls or anything. Um, I just, this is a part time labor of love, and I need to film this and move on because I talked to Doug two weeks ago, and uh, Doug, of course, didn't pick up his, his phone this morning either because he's a busy man. So, anyway, I might have some follow up information that I need to correct this if, if, if Reverend Amon. Uh, follows up with me. But as it is, this is all reported from Doug as to what kind of treatment uh, they got from D.S. Uh All right, okay, so uh, they never missed a payroll, and there are so many United Methodist churches that actually—I've talked to clergy who say they get paychecks sometimes and are told, hey, don't cash this till next week, you know? So this is a regular thing in some churches. Never happened at this church. Um, they have a $24,000 endowment, um, but the conference isn't going to get a ton of money from closing the building. They're going to take the endowment fund. They're going to take what's in the bank. It's going to be around $50,000. He was pessimistic that they're even going to be able to resell the building. Now, Fifth Avenue, they had a huge real estate value. It was over $2 million, I think, with, I with this church— this is not in a growth area. They're they're not they're, they're not going to be able to. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to sell it for much of anything. It's going to be an albatross. Well, and they've already s- closed.
1: They had three United Methodist churches in um, Struthers. They are closing. Well, three, including Struthers. Um, they're closing all of them, all three of them. Um, the it is a suburb of Youngstown. Mm-hmm. Youngstown's sixty thousand um, people. Struthers is only ten. Youngstown's maybe 10, 15 minutes away. It's not It's not that far. The next closest United Methodist Church is in Poland, um, which is south of them. Um, and it's about, uh, if you're going from the church to church, it's like seven minutes. Um, it's about four miles. It's not not super far there. They're a whole lot bigger, it seems like. I, I was looking at their, uh, their social media, and they're very very present on social media. I don't know if it's because the, this is uh, Poland you're talking about? Poland. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's because the conference is getting involved and kind of pushing them, but they are thoroughly UMC and for, Poland has 2000 people in it. Mind you, um, Compared to to Struthers ten thousand, so th- I was kind of surprised how big their church actually was. I couldn't get the numbers on the the attendance because the UM data is down this morning, but uh, the church building's fairly large, and they're very active in the community. Um, mm. So, yeah, so someone who's sympathetic the to the mind. conference
0: might look at this and go, uh, "They're obviously much more active. It it just makes sense to consolidate." But then uh, a con of that would be they're consolidating in an area with fewer people. Yeah. And then also it's just the, the overall ethical concern that we're going to have is how do you justify closing a congregation that wants to stay open and continue serving Jesus together? It's just a very paternal uh, uh, posture to take towards communities to say, uh, you're no longer vital, um, we're going to close you, you're not doing the mission that you're here to do, um, and we're, we're going to close you down, take your stuff, and combine your people with other people. It's just it, the, the theological implications of that are, and we may or may not come to it, but if, if the purpose of the church is to do social work, then I understand some people thinking that churches need to be, get closed. But the thing is, the primary purpose of the church is not to do social work. It's to be a, a spiritual body that does life together and glorifies God together. And whether or not that involves material-based mission is a, a secondary or tertiary thing, but within the United Methodist Church, it seems that they've theologically undergirded all of this. If you are not materially contributing to the annual conference and to your local context, you are not a valid church we will close you. And I, I just want to make clear that Struthers uh,
1: is involved as, as well. Like when, when the conference came to them and said, "Hey, you need to be more involved in your community." They picked it right up. They were doing stuff. Um, they just had gotten an award from the city, um, thanking them for the stuff they were doing um, in in the city. So it's
0: not like they weren't
1: doing anything with the community.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, they were. My, they were very active. Well, yeah. Let me read the the account from um, Doug himself because he talks about. Um, So in 2014, they had this vitality study where they got recommendations, and they actually did a lot of them. A lot of churches would be like, "Uh, we're going to do things the same. Thank you very much. But he said, one of the areas we agreed we needed improvement on was connecting better with our community and reaching new people. Our community is an old steel mill town, and after the closure of the mills, the city of Struthers grew smaller as far as population. The church continued to worship with the base membership, slowly growing smaller, as did the city. Our congregation aged, but seems to grow smaller in young families, and people as a church lost appeal to these persons due to lifestyle changes. Sports became normal for Sunday mornings. The other challenge was the population has become transient as the homes which were owned by families are now being purchased by corporations, which in turn now uh, rent them. I don't think you meant to, but, but they just now rent them out. People don't have permanent residence there. This has made it difficult to connect with people. This clearly challenged the church. We recently partnered with a marketing company to reach out to people moving into our city on rental and real estate sales. A flyer with the church information will be mailed to all the above mentioned. They're so much more proactive on this stuff than we are, and we're dealing with a lot yeah. of the same uh, cultural phenomena here. Well, like all of the, all of the churches are, whether they're UMC or not, like that's just a common thing. It's just like uh, our society now. Yes, that's that's regular all over America. Yeah. Very transient not at all centered around the church anymore. It's worship sports much more than Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is... this is, uh, Here, let me read a little bit more. We currently have a free community meal set for August, April 23rd, 2023, with people contacting us to attend. Our church is home to Steel Valley Cheer Group, which brings young girls from elementary to high school to complete, compete in cheerleading. This is such a wonderful connection between the church and the leaders as this helps grow and mature these young women. They have supported the church in serving alongside the church and sorting food for our community food giveaways. We have partnered with a a group which offers dancing to the community, bringing outside people in alongside members of our church. Both groups make rent payments in support of church operations. The church opens its doors to the community little league teams to use the fellowship hall during the season when uh, adverse weather conditions make outdoor practices impossible. And then he goes through some other—yeah, I, I can't spend the whole time on this—but it's, it's a very worthy document where he makes the case, this is not some church sitting on its laurels that's just indifferent to the community around them. They were doing everything they could, using all the resources they had at their disposal to uh, benefit the community around them. So it's just—it's really a shame when you see it spelled out—and there were many more things that this church was doing—when you see it spelled out, all the things that they were doing— and yet they, uh, let's see, meeting one in October of 2022, it was supposed to be an annual consultation on just the role of the clergy uh, with the DS and the church, but she came with her financial information and she said... She being the district superintendent. Yeah, yes, thank you very much, uh, DS. Abby Allman. Allman, yes. And uh, said she uh, she was mandating that they have a conversation at the cross conversation in January. This is an official process. Yeah, so this is is the October meeting. This is just an
1: SPRC meeting. Yeah, and that was spurred on, and primarily by the the low fund. um, Supposedly. Supposedly, yeah. Which
0: we still don't know how she got that
1: report. That's what she... Doug said that's what she attacked them on. Yeah, so she was supposed to be doing
0: an assessment of Doug's performance, and instead she came with an idea in her head about the financial picture there, about low efficacy of the church, and um, uh, informed them that they would be starting on this uh, formal process. Um, She was under the impression that they were broke, and they countered her, but she did not listen. Um, I think I said everything from this section. So... Okay, so that was the first meeting, and then that wasn't an official meeting. The official conversation at the cross began in January 2023. Uh, that's when uh, D.S. Allman came and presented to the Struthers Church. It's my understanding that that everybody was invited and welcome. It was a formal conversation discussing the church vitality, and she seemed to already have the death of the church in mind, even though they were trying to get clear on finances and the activities of the church. Uh, Whenever it came time for her to say a closing prayer, the closing prayer uh, was all (laughs) death-oriented. So it it seemed to to Doug and, and to the rest of the congregation that she was set on closing the church. The, the conversations of the cross, is that just in East Ohio, that's not anything you've heard of? Because I don't think you'd heard of it before. Yeah, he, he acted like it was something that I should know about. But uh, to my knowledge, this has not taken place in An Oklahoma Annual Conference. It's not something I've heard of outside of East Ohio. It's a thing that they do over there. I guess. So, so my theory, and I'll say it here because I'd probably forget to say it, is um, within HR departments at um, a lot of corporate environments, there's, um, you know, there's, there's uh, this this charge of wrongful termination. Whenever you get wrongly fired and and uh, they they didn't go through due process, then you have HR departments that are responsible for making sure that employers go through the process. These these laws were put in place to protect people from wrongful termination, but what it results in is um, the corporate structure uh, manufactures. A pattern of bad behavior that then justifies them canning you. So it doesn't actually protect you. Conversations at the cross Mm -hmm. seems to be, to me, to an outsider, seems to be a process designed to uh, give the veneer of uh, giving churches a chance to, you know, turn themselves around. Uh, But what it really resulted in, at least in this case, is the DS coming with her concerns, the church saying, we hear your concerns, they're based on faulty evidence, let us give you some good evidence, and look at all the ways that we have conformed to your expectations. Look at all the ways we've been good faith partners. And um, so on paper, the DS was able to, to paint a picture of them being non-compliant, but all along the way they're saying, we're complying, we're complying, and the, the end result is uh, this letter saying, hey, we're going to close your church down, and the final date of your worship together. will be on May 31st. Um, So they, at this meeting, second meeting, it didn't go well. Um, Doug said, Reverend Theobald says uh, they were respectful, they were pushing back, but they weren't mean. However, he says that the DS at this point, at one point, said, shut up, I am talking. Yeah, somebody
1: tried to talk over her, and she did not take that too well.
0: No, and I said... Doug, you know, this is what I do with all the conservatives I interview. We all agree there is a place called hell. It's for liars, and lying is a sin. You know, Uh, Doug, are you lying? He said no. Uh, She really did say this, and this is something that I've I've talked to a lot of people around the country. There are a lot of district superintendents that do not seem to be emotionally equipped for this. In my own conference, there's a DS that, after every disaffiliation vote, cries in front of everybody, (laughs) and... Uh, it just seems that you know this is a situation that really requires a lot of emotional maturity. And if it isn't in, in fact true, what what Doug said that that she uttered something like this, that is a problem. Now, uh, at meeting three, there were problems uh, with with the congregation as well. This was in March of 2023, March 27th, and this was scheduled by the DS just a few days after the uh, the final date for churches to file for disaffiliation. So Reverend Theobald is of the mind that she intentionally scheduled it then so that uh, when the meeting went bad they would not have recourse to file for disaffiliation. They would essentially be trapped and closed against their will. Um, she presented a slide to them that had the name of the Lovell Church on it that was being closed on the exact same day. So this is another sign that she was anticipating closing them no matter what they said. It was just a done deal. Um, And then they took a vote. There were 33 total votes. Only one voted to close. The other 32 said, we do not want to close. And so she said at that point it would go to the District Board of Building and Lands, uh, which is probably a subset of the Board of Trustees. I really don't know. And uh, she told them they couldn't present to the board, but then eventually two representatives from the church um, were allowed to... um, present to them on their at their Zoom meeting, which was on April 17th, and there were eight total votes. Three of the reps voted to close it, three voted not to close it. There were only two more, and, and he wasn't clear on how it all exactly worked out, but they voted to close the church against their will. So this was not a slam-dunk, done deal. Rather, this was, uh, it, it seems to me, something that Um, is clearly wrong, yet people loyal to the institution wanted to sign off on because this is what the DS and maybe the bishop was saying she wanted. uh, Theobald was saying they've never heard anything, hide nor hear, from the bishop. They haven't had any communication. They did communicate to the bishop's office how inappropriate they felt their DS behaved, but they haven't. That letter that you read earlier was uh, Doug's
1: uh, email to basically the the whole uh,
0: upper echelons
1: of the conference.
0: Okay, and so in this third meeting where they voted and they said we don't want to close, there was one vote that said, "Okay, yeah, let's close the church." And this church, like most churches, has a tacky person in it who thinks they're funny and they're not funny, and she made a comment, "I'm going to find out who that person is and kill him." Everybody
1: knew. Well, I don't know if she said kill him. She <laughs> said shoot, but still the
0: shoot. Okay, yeah, yeah. shoot doesn't I, mean kill. Right, Maybe well, shoot them with maim- love. Mame.
1: Uh the same same, same
0: Anyway, it was tacky and the community uh corrected it for sure, but uh, it was too late. The DS just hopped on it and freaked out and uh it, it definitely would would validate a worldview that these conservatives are just hateful, off the handle Trump voters who are bigots and need to get closed anyway. So yeah. it's just one of those unfortunate things where there's no grace involved in this. You know, if, if To be fair that in in this kind of
1: environment where this is like, you've got shootings all the time. I guess that it's a justifiable, like, reason.
0: I don't think we should give that ground. I think I for think so. for for centuries, people have been speaking in extreme ways. I mean, when I read stuff from the mid-20th century, I mean, it's just surrounded with idioms. If we think that uh, making normal speech full of these idioms is what's causing violence, that's just crazy to Oh, me. yeah, no, I, I would disagree with the speech causes... We, I just think the way that language is constructed is we're regularly uh, referencing things that are not PC. I mean, th- that's what the pushback against PC culture has been this whole time, is we're wanting to like, re-engineer society so that nobody says anything offensive. or Sticks and stones. You just can't do that. I mean, there there's people in liberal churches that say tacky, weird, out-of-touch stuff all the time, but if they just observe the right pieties, then you act like they're all bad over there we're all good over here just give me a break there was one tacky thing said be gracious you know so i i i don't know i, I didn't want to skip over that and say with a, they were all perfect angels they did everything perfect no there were some crummy things said along the way that was one of them it still shouldn't have gone the way it went shouldn't have come anywhere close to the where, place it went well, okay, so the cabinet, you know, so you have the board, you have the district building and lands, you have the board of trustees, I don't know what role they play. The cabinet finally met to discuss them, said Doug. Um, and then the DS didn't correspond with the church about what was going to happen to them until the day before she came to their worship service when she informed them that she would. Okay so she informed them I'm going to be at your worship service she told them the day before she sent Doug a text messages the night the text message the night before like she has not been uh, very communicative Well uh, yeah and he said there were co- complaints that she had against him that she put in writing and then said out loud, one of which being she couldn't ever get a hold of him. Yeah, and he told us she never called; she yeah. only ever texted, and I would text her like, back. Well, you you called him, left him a voicemail, and he yeah. got right back to you, right, real quick. Yeah. I
1: mean, he, you got to keep in uh, keep in mind he has a he's a full time firefighter. Yeah, I mean, he's not. Uh, it's it, the ministry's not uh, the pastorship. He's not, he's not a full time pastor, so he's got he's got a job. He he does have a, a life that he.
0: Is is living like I don't know. Well, and the other thing she had, she had she had other problems with him. He was too active in the the grounds and maintenance of the building. So he paid for rent in yeah, his. Yeah, so he was parsonage. living in the parsonage. And, and I've paying. never heard of anybody paying rent to live in the parsonage. Yeah. But it was two hundred fifty dollars a month which is reasonable, and he felt good about it. I don't know why, but, you know, I like living in my parsonage for free. Doug, I would I would renegotiate if I were you. But he, he did that. He mowed the lawns. Uh, when it snowed, he would get the snow blower out, and for some reason she thought that was inappropriate. Yeah, you know? I don't understand. And, that. That, like, that's, that's something most pastors don't want to do, but he was happy to do it. He was happy to serve the church that he had been appointed to, and then he was just, mis- you know, as he talked with us, he was just mystified that she had a problem with him, you know, uh, it seemed overtly theological. He said yeah. he he and his church are conservative. She's clearly very far left if she's with RMN. Um, and, you know, as I listened to this, I couldn't help but wonder how much of it has to do... The optics are woman bishop, woman DS, very male, uh, I mean, man Manchu male. Uh, uh, very passionate. conservative, very
1: down-to-earth, nice,
0: likable guy. Like Yeah. It just seems like they were very threatened... I don't know. I mean, I I don't know them. I didn't have a conversation with them. But it's just one of these things that you can't help but wonder, like, how much of this is just, like, left-leaning people having a stereotype in their head that they easily fit him into, and it justifies poor treatment of him. Um, Since he's been going through this, he's been very vocal. And loud about it, he he's not gone quiet. He said several other pastors uh, to have reached out to him now because they have been compelled to enter the conversations at the cross conversation uh, to to seemingly replicate the same pattern. Um, so part of the reason why this is pertinent in our current landscape is. There are a lot of conservatives that are under the impression that if they're not one of the bad conservatives like me who starts talking publicly and being active in the conference, if they just keep their heads down and they're nice, then they will be left alone. At least in this conference, that's not how it worked out. He was not part of a caucus group. His church was not advocating for leaving or anything. They still got him, and why would they do this? Uh, It's either just open cultural hatred or... They've just decided they're done dealing with conservatives dragging their feet on the the long march <laughs> towards creating the kingdom of heaven on earth with LGBTQ rainbows everywhere.
1: Or they're just trying to get out ahead of all of the disaffiliations and start closing it down and like just gathering in all the resources so they, they can't. Because the, I well, think so- you said in um, uh, Youngstown alone, they had combined four churches and that church decided to disaffiliate, and then they've got the the one the low yeah, they're right. closing
0: down, which is south yeah. They've of had them. two huge churches already yeah. disaffiliate, and that was before they've only got one more conference. They've got no special conferences planned to allow churches to disaffiliate. They've only got their regular conference in June planned, and the deadline for disaffiliating has so already passed. passed. Yeah. So they're all if you're if you're not already in the disaffiliation process, you seem to be trapped unless general conference t- 2024 provides a new disaffiliation agreement. And then this is an East Ohio conference. Yeah. Just so that we're clear on that. Yes. Just make sure. Yes. Um, so uh, and you know we talked a little bit about conference stuff, but I mean he's he's not one that's tried to be in the know, so he there's a lot that he doesn't know. Um, they were taking a vote a couple Sundays ago uh, to see if they wanted to form a new church. He kind of thought they would go GMC. I haven't heard back from him since then. Um, so I don't know if they're doing, but their last Sunday to worship is is uh, this, this Sunday, Sunday. the thirty first. Yeah. So no, that's two Sundays away. Today is, is it? the eighteenth. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's coming it's up anyway. So of course, be in prayer for Doug and the Struthers Church as they're looking at next things. They're going to lose all their stuff. They're 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 staying together. They're going to do something together, but it's it's unknown what they're going to do. But outside of that, pray for the East Ohio conservative churches that seem to be under hostile leadership. Um, Paragraph 2549, I'm going to come back to this. It's being used around the connection to um, uh, closed churches outside of the provision of 2553. 2553 gives a limited right to churches to disaffiliate. A lot of conferences have said, not going to do it. A lot of conferences have added just huge burdens that, that can't be borne on it. Um, West Virginia, uh, I did a report on them a while back. I heard back they're not doing 2553 at all. Rather, they're using 2549 quietly under the table to allow churches to go to buy their assets from the con- And apparently they're generally using a pretty uh, uh, fair metric for doing this. <laughs> it's not fair if you already have debt on your building, uh, according to secondhand stuff. But um, there are some conferences that are weaponizing 2549, as in East Ohio. There are other conferences that are using 2549 as a workaround 2553. And in some cases, they actually seem to be more gracious about it than 2553 mandates, which is great. I think that's the exception to the rule, though. This is one of those things that's coming about because the, the structure of the denomination is so sclerotic that uh, they're just forming workarounds. So uh, 2548.2 was also something that could have been used as a workaround, a gracious workaround. Judicial Council outlawed that. Now 2549 is a, a hostile takeover, a seizing of assets, and then uh, behind closed doors, the Board of Trustees and the Cabinet can arrange a negotiation for how much they can get their assets back if they, they pay, off, pay them off. So in my head, it's still a super icky situation. I'm clear in my spirit that anytime anyone wants to leave any group, they should be able to get out. I I just think coercive uh, uh, exercise of power, especially in the church, is um, just unjustifiable. I I have no sympathy for um, annual conferences that find a bunch of churches wanting to leave, and they're going, how are we going to fund all this? You shouldn't be able to fund it if your people aren't happy. I mean, that's just—we deal with that reality in the local church all the time you bureaucrats have no right to expect money that you have not earned, and if you don't have the trust of the people, you don't deserve their money. And now to seize it from them in their churches is just is morally unacceptable. Is is uh, I, there's just no way Jesus is okay with this. So uh, that's speaking more meanly than I usually do. I usually try and be nicer on this stuff, but um, you know th- some things like advice I confusing. I understand this this tr- unless I've been completely lied to unless uh, the the lay leader there wrote up lies and and Doug lied to me, Um, this really is just an open and closed case that is um, wrong. So anyway, I I hope we don't see any more of this, but it seems like a lot more of this is coming down the pike. So pray for the United Methodist Church, and uh, just pray that more people speak up. So much um, happens that should not happen that nobody talks about. And that that creates this image where the UMC really isn't that bad. And uh, for people like me who've been keeping our ears to the ground, it really has been that bad. It will continue to get that bad. It will probably get worse. And so, yeah, if you hear me after all that, you're going, he's catastrophizing. Well, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I'll keep doing these segments, and at some point you'll see there's a pattern here. Uh, but in the meantime, I appreciate you spending time with me. If you have thoughts, go ahead and comment. And uh, if you liked it, like it. And uh, if you want other people to, to, to hear it and think through these things with us, uh, TJ and I would love it if you would share it with people. So God bless you. Thanks for spending time with us. I'll see you later.